today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Why do voters seem to just turn out budgets? Why do we just seem to get turned off all these? I've noticed a certain amount of skepticism and frustration as we've talked about the provincial budget a week or so ago and then more recently, of course, the federal budget. Well, our next guest touches on that in the piece that uh, is uh, published in the Toronto Sun. Uh, it's uh, it's called Voters to Our Budgets Because They See Them as Fiscal Illusions. What's that mean? Well, we'll find out in just a second from our next guest. He is Warren Kinsella, former special assistant to Jean Chrétien and war room director for Dalton McGinty in uh, three elections, three successful elections, we might add. Uh, Warren, my friend, good to have you back in the program. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me, my friend. I wait, t- t- talk to us about this frustration. Now, I can remember, and I was on, you certainly can, uh, when budgets, especially f- uh, the, the, the federal budgets, were a big deal. I mean, you know, they were cloaked in secrecy. If there was a leak, uh, people used to get charged. I mean, they could lose their jobs. And, uh, and, and you know, banks and, and, and everyone else seemed to just hold their breath waiting to find out what's happening. The attitude these days just seems to be, oh, yeah, another budget, same old, same old. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, maybe and maybe that's a bad thing because budgets do affect people's lives, you know, how much taxes they pay and which programs they can get and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it you know, successive governments, of, you know, the blue and red stripes both have, I think, been doing budgets all wrong. And, uh, you know, the way in which they express it, the way in which they fudge the numbers. And, and I think principally because they've got too many messages. You know, the one thing we, I think we learned uh, from politics over the years is that, you know, if you got a hundred messages, you don't have any messages. You got to keep it simple and be respectful of the fact that people have busy lives, busy daily lives. So you got to be straightforward and give them the facts right off the top. And, you know, this budget, like so many others, just hasn't done that. You know, and I would challenge anybody listening right now you know, name me five things that you can recall off the top of your head that were in the budget. And I think most people couldn't do it. Yeah, as I was, as I was reading your piece yesterday, it reminded me of that, that song from the musical Chicago, you know, give them the old razzle-dazzle. Uh, you know, just blind them with big numbers and their eyes will glaze over. And, and, you know, you can say whatever you want because they've tuned out. They have. And, you know, another big problem with budgets these days is people have been spun or in some cases flat out lied to uh, so many times. And it it has really broken down the consensus that used to exist that, you know, you could agree with a budget or, or disagree with it, but, you know, there would be a consensus that the numbers were right. Well, governments have consistently messed around with those numbers so many times. The public, Joe and Jane Front Porch, have a tendency to just tune it all out and say, well, I don't believe any of it because all of these guys are lying to me all the time. And so now polls have shown, and not just by one pollster, as many as 75% of Canadians don't believe anymore in what government says or does. And, uh, you know, one of the victims of that have been these federal budgets where people just don't believe what they're being told. Well, and uh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling before the budget, and then we kind of look at it a couple of months after and said, well, what's changed really? And and, in our everyday lives, there are exceptions. You know, the daycare program is is one of those, I suppose, and every now and then something like that comes along. But by and large, it it really doesn't have the impact that we thought it would have on our lives. No, and and I think that's a good example that you give of it. You know, that's an important program. Child care is an important program for so many Canadians. But the problem is that this government in particular, but also previous governments, 
just load too much stuff into the shopping cart. And so they've gone, they're trying to reach all these different discrete audiences in the way that they do in election campaigns. And as a consequence, kind of the main message gets lost. You know, literally in this budget, as you pointed out off the top, um, Freeland has all kinds of spending programs in there, but she's also got some tax cuts um, and some restraint measures. And so that's great. Whether you agree with her or not on either side of the proposition, that's fine. My point is, well, you know, she's she's kind of up and down like a toilet seat. You, you can't figure out what is the main message that she wants to communicate. Is it spending on social programs or is it restraint and tightening our belts? Like it, it used to be that we would have budgets that had one main message. This one had multiple messages. And as a result, you know, I think by this time next week, everybody will have forgotten it. But isn't that politics 101, Warren? I mean, it, you've, you've had input into a political speech or two in your time. And, and isn't the, the, the stated theme is, is, okay, what's the message going to be? Now, you can, you can go off on, on you know, side roads every now and then, but you've got to come back to that main theme. This is what this one's all about. This is the message I want people to come away with. And, and that, you know, as you've said, the last couple of budgets, the last couple of governments, uh, the old phrase, you know, they're going to try to please everybody, please nobody. Well, you look at uh, Stephen Harper and Paul Martin, this was a few years ago. Why did Stephen Harper win the 2005-2006 election campaign? My opinion, you know, sponsorship scandal was in the mix there. Fatigue with the Liberal government was in the mix. But to me, the biggest reason of all is Paul Martin had a platform document with close to 200 promises in it. Stephen Harper had five. He had, you know, cutting the GST, accountability act. You know, he had things in there that you could remember that you could kind of, you know, get your mind around. And Martin just had too many messages and it got lost on people, you know, and it's not a case of guys like me who work in the back room saying voters are dumb. Voters are smart. They're intuitive. They know what they want. They know what they care about. But they're very, very busy in their daily lives, you know, getting kids to hockey practice or, you know, getting through traffic or catching up on the bills. They're busy. So, you know, political people, government people need to be more respectful of that. And they've got to figure out ways to reach those busy people in a way that respects their lives and the amount of time that they've got in a day. And governments just aren't doing that anymore. They're just like, it's like they're getting a machine gun out and just spraying stuff all over the place and thinking that, you know, people are going to remember it. People aren't remembering it. Well, and we've seen examples of that, but you're right, not lately. I mean, you know, Kretchen had the little red book. Uh, you, know, you could refer to it and say, okay, this is what this government's going to do. And, and Mike Harris had uh, the common sense revolution. Well, I agree or disagree with the stuff that was in it, but it was concise and it was there for us. That's right. And, you know, the other problem that's happened, and we saw this in the pandemic, it used to be like the dominant issue at any given time in Canada, you know, the dominant public policy issue is health care. And obviously that spiked dramatically during the pandemic. And, you know, the polls and the work that my firm has done for years showed that doctors and nurses were seen as the best spokespeople for healthcare and what should happen to it. Well, that totally broke down in the pandemic because they started disagreeing with each other in public, you know, on the efficacy of vaccines or public health measures. Like in some cases, they were fighting with each other in, in public. So it was predictable that you would have a growth of a constituency of people who said, well, I don't believe any of you. And I don't believe anything that you have to say about vaccines or 
public health. I'm just going to do my own research on the Internet. And that's a dangerous thing, uh, as we all know. And I think that's what's happened with the budget, too. You can't find anybody with any degree of credibility who can tell you what Krista Freeland's budget this week was all about. You literally can't find a person that you can trust because trust and consensus has been lost. Well, I would think also, I mean, we've talked about some of the past budgets and some of the past finance ministers. Uh, they didn't have the, you know, the social media platforms to contend with that, that are present these days. Uh, so in other words, you know, you'd better be direct with your message right now because there's going to be so much other stuff and misinformation on those sites that people will gravitate to if they don't understand what you're trying to say. And an excellent example of what you're talking about, there's an American writer who I'm a big fan of named David Schenck, and he has a name for what you just described. He calls it data smog. So in your average person's life, this busy person I referred to a minute ago, you know, before they even have breakfast because of the Internet, because of devices that all of us carry around all the time, they're bombarded by hundreds of thousands of words and images every single day before their day even gets started. It's too much information. You know, information used to be like caviar. Well, now it's like potatoes and like people filter it out. So data smog is, you know, where people just say, look, I can't follow all this stuff anymore. I'm just going to tune it all out. And, you know, political parties and governments and corporations and unions, too, need to figure out a way to simplify their message and break through the data smog. And one of the guys who's the best at that in the world, as much as I dislike him, is Donald Trump. Trump figured out how to make his message, you know, simplicity, repetition, volume, simplicity, repetition, volume. That's how you break through with a budget or whatever you're selling. And, you know, that's all that works anymore. Well, let's let's pivot over there. I got a couple of minutes left here. Uh, last twenty four hours have been just ridiculous down south of the border. The indictments has come in. We are told there are thirty of them. I don't, I don't know if anybody's seen them. It took a couple of hours, but the, uh, the the MAGA people have started to to move in now, and you've seen the signs and the demonstrations are going on. What what's going on here? What's your read on on what 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 the indictments mean and and what's going to happen going forward? Well, full disclosure, as you know, and you and I have talked about it before, I worked for Hillary Clinton in yep. three different states. I worked for her in her Brooklyn headquarters, so I'm obviously partial to her. But, you know, the United States, celebrity culture, as Gwyneth Paltrow showed us yesterday, as yeah. Simpson showed us before, celebrities are judged according to a different standards. Donald Trump is one of the biggest celebrities there is. The other problem with this, this indictment that, that, you know, we haven't seen these 30-plus counts, um, that the grand jury handed down. But, you know, at the center of it is this legal theory. Is it legal to take, you know, uh, accounting, um, how can I express it? I don't want to say fraud because that's an allegation that hasn't been proven yet. But let's say creative accounting. Is, yeah, creative accounting. That's a good way of saying it that took place here. And then apparently it was made use of funds from the presidential campaign that Trump won, and that transformed it into a felony from a misdemeanor. Anyway, as you can hear from the way I'm trying to describe it, it's too complicated. It's a legal theory, and you don't try out a legal theory when you're prosecuting a media-savvy former president of the United States. It's just uh, it's doomed to failure, I think. And the other thing that hurts this prosecution is the two main witnesses you know, one is a porn star and one is a guy who's been sent to jail for fraud and perjury. Those are the two main witnesses for the prosecution. So I, I you know, I think on that basis alone, Trump's going to be able to defeat it. 
And if that happens, and, and you're not the first one to say that, it, it, it's, it's rather tenuous at this stage, what does that do to future indictments, if, or are there going to be future indictments? There's a number of investigations going on right now, but if this one fizzles, does that, does that deflate these other ones as well? Oh, I think it's released the Kraken. I think it's it's the, the opposite. Like, there's one thing that has unified all of the Republican contenders for the presidential nomination this morning, and that's this indictment of Donald Trump. Even Ron DeSantis in Florida, who would be the guy responsible for extraditing Trump to New York to face arraignment, is saying, you know, this is this is wrong, and he's going to fight it every way he can. And Nikki Haley and everybody else. This is united Republicans, and it's united Republican voters. I think behind Trump. I think Trump now has much more of a shot at getting the nomination than DeSantis, precisely because. This Harvard-educated Manhattan registered Democrat prosecutor has done this. I think it's a big mistake because it's going to turn Trump into a martyr. And it guarantees that when the Republicans take the White House, they're going to return the favor to Democrats. Well, John Bolton made that prediction a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? He said if Trump beats this, he will get reelected. I don't know if he'll get reelected. I mean, the, a lot of the stuff that Trump sells, Americans aren't buying anymore. And I think that's why a lot of Democrats were leaning towards, uh, Republicans were re- leaning towards DeSantis. But this really does change things. You and I are going to be talking about Donald Trump and the prosecution of Donald Trump for months to come. And it's going to have the effect of crowding out the story that the other Republican contenders are trying to tell. So, uh, you know, I, I just think this prosecutor, he may be right. He may have some actual case here to bring against uh, Donald J. Trump. That's certainly what the grand jury thinks. But I I think all he's done is turn Trump into a martyr and um, made it very difficult for others to beat him for that Republican nomination. Warren Kinsella, Warren, as always, thank you so much for the time. I always enjoy our conversations. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too, my friend. Thank you. Take care. Uh, of course, uh, he worked on uh, Jean Chrétien's campaign, Dalton McGinney's campaign, and as he just uh, reminded us, uh, Hillary Clinton's campaigns uh, a couple of years ago as well. Uh, and he's absolutely right. I mean, this is this is not the end of the Donald Trump saga. It's the beginning of a very important chapter. We're going to follow that closely. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.